0: Good morning, ladies. Wow, that is loud. (laughs) I'm glad that wasn't on when I was singing. You you would have all left. That is like a nightmare of mine, is that they'll turn it on too early and you'll catch me singing. Um, It's not a beautiful noise at all. Um, My name is Vanita Jones, and I am so blessed to be a part of the teaching team of Women in the Word here at Christ Chapel. Um, I guess I've probably told some of you this before, but Thursday mornings with all of you studying God's Word is my absolute favorite part of the week. It is my favorite part of the entire week because you know you excite me. You challenge me to live a better life. You enlighten me with your answers to your questions and, and what you bring to the group. And when I stand here, it humbles me to look out and see all you beautiful women here with one purpose and that's to study God's Word because you want to fall deeper in love with your Heavenly Father. Please know that your obedience to study God's Word, it's going to open up a deeper, richer faith that's going to bring you joy that is overwhelming, and it's going to give you a peace that passes anything you've ever imagined because that's what God's Word can do for you no matter what's going on in your situation. You know, Our study in the book of Proverbs has caused me, or say, should I say forced me, to shine the light of God's truths into some areas of my life that I kind of felt like my toes had been stepped on in the last few weeks. And this week has been no exception at all. Um, I, I was forced to look at some areas that could possibly be robbing me of that joy and that peace that God has promised me because of the way I use my words and my speech. We should never underestimate the power of our words. You know, I have struggled with the tongue more than anything else in my life. Anything. I struggle with not only what to say and how to say it, but I struggle with what not to say and when not to say it. Probably more than even before the others. It's the hardest thing in the world for me. You know, these words are powerful because a judge can use just a few words and he can sentence someone, guilt, say they're guilty and sentence them to death with just a few words. And a few choice words of gossip can absolutely destroy a person's reputation and their life. And a few thoughtless words spoken insensitive, insensitively to somebody could cause somebody to feel unworthy of God's love and His powerful forgiveness. But on the flip side, that same judge can use a few words and he can declare that person innocent and set them free. And with a few words to stop that gossip dead in its tracks, you'll save somebody's reputation. And then a few kind and thoughtful words could actually lead that, that same hurting person to a saving relationship with their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our words are so very powerful. I hope that you got this this last week in your questions, just how important they really are. Now, I want you to open your Bibles. And today, it's going to be kind of hard because I'm going to be flipping all over Proverbs. If you're really good at that, feel free. If you want to just listen, I'm going to read these Proverbs off to you. But open it up to Proverbs 18. And on your verse sheet, I've put a couple of Proverbs on there but I actually tried to put all of them on there I'm going to use today, and it took almost two and a half pages of verses. So I've put the ones that go out of Proverbs on your verse sheet, so you can follow along there with that. Now, I want to read specifically 1821, and it says this, "...the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit." It's pretty simple. It tells us the power of our tongue. It's the power of life and death. That's big stuff. James does the same thing when he compares a tongue to a destroying fire. He talks about it being a dangerous beast and a deadly poison. On your verse sheet, I have James 3, 3 through 8, and it says this. When we put bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take the ship as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by a strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the whole body, but it makes big boasts. Consider what a great fire is set on. forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body, It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and it itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, reptiles, birds, creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Yikes. Yikes. And we use our words all the time. That's a powerful weapon. You know, this tongue is one powerful muscle. It tells me that as powerful as it is, God, James tells us, that we can't tame it. It's going to take God to tame our tongue. That's how powerful it is. You know, it actually is a muscle. It doesn't have any bones in it. But it is second in strength only to the, legs, the muscles in the legs. That is powerful. And it can do big damage or really neat things in somebody's life. It can go either way. Now, physically, of course, our tongue is very useful. We use it. It helps us for eating, right? I love that. It's one of my favorite hobbies. We use it. It also helps stop some sicknesses that get into our bodies. It has stuff on the tongue that stops illnesses. And, of course, we use it to speak. But spiritually, spiritually, In the spiritual sense, the tongue can be a blessing or it can be a very, very dangerous weapon. It can be the key to open up the gates of heaven when we worship and we praise and we pray to God. But that same tongue can be the key to open the gates of hell. Because it can help us build up strongholds. It can put out curses. It can bring oppression and sickness and disease to our minds, our bodies, and our spirits and to those around us as well. It is the most powerful weapon in anybody's arsenal, but especially among Christians. It's a powerful weapon when it's used to separate and divide the children, God's children, right there within his own kingdom. And believe me when I tell you this, Satan knows this. And he is always looking for any opportunity to use our tongue to separate and divide the kingdom of God every single day. Now, last week in your questions, you were to look up several verses all through Proverbs, and you want, I wanted you to record what I had to say about the tug. And, and you remember I had you put good and evil, and you listed all the way down. Well, I think there are a few things we can agree on after doing that lesson. The first thing is that our words and our speech, they can be an amazing and valuable gift from God. And they are. They're an amazing, valuable gift from God. In Proverbs 16, 1, it said, To man belong the plans of the heart, but from the Lord comes the reply of the tongue. It says it right there, who we get it from. It comes from God. It's a gift he's given us. The God of the universe that created us, he created us with this tongue. He created us with the ability to speak. And we know that he created us in his own image, because he tells us that in Genesis. So from those two pieces of information, we should be able to assume pretty surely that he places a really high value on communication. It's really important to him. And I suggest that one of the reasons he created us with this tongue was that we would have the ability to speak and share his truths with others while we were here on earth. Now, our questions last week, we saw several different times that words of speech were used way back, the very first time in the Garden of Eden. And I wanted you to see where they were used for affirmation. They were used for instruction. They showed affection. They were encouraging. But then just a few verses down, we see where those words were used to deceive. They were used to lie. And then they conveyed shame and brought evil into the Garden Now, our ability to speak, it really does come pretty naturally. It's actually not something we have to learn. It's an amazing miracle. Did you know that it's actually a piece of your biological makeup in your brain? You know that when you look at your infants. They start out scream crying, and you feed them or whatever, and they they are quiet. But then they start making those cute little cooing, babbling sounds that are just precious, and you could just listen to it all day long. And a few months down the road, then you start thinking, Did I just hear what I... I think she said mama or dada. And they start taking those little babbly sounds, and they sound recognizable. And then before you know it, they begin to grow, and they start stringing words together a little bit at a time. You know, my son's first word, I have four children, and out of all, th- all of them, three of them, their first words were mama, dada, of course. It was the usual. But my third son, Casey, who's 16 now, his first word, get this, duck. Quack, quack, yeah, Duck. <laughs> Of course, my duck hunting expert husband was just elated. He dropped to his knees, and he was so excited. I was so disappointed, so disappointed. And and as he began to string words along, and he got older and older, one day, about three years later, he woke up, and I'm pouring my coffee in the kitchen. He walks into me, and he has his little tiny boxers on, his little T-shirt, and his hair's all messed up. And he walks up, and he goes, I want one egg sunny side up. He did! He said that! Duck! One one egg sunny side up! I nearly dropped my coffee mug. It blew me away. And all at the same time, it melted my heart. Because you know, I bet I could ask you out there, and every one of you women could remember the first word your child said. The words are so so important. Now you know in ver- the verses in Proverbs we read it emphasized the value of our human speech, and they tell us that the value of this divine gift should not be taken for granted. We shouldn't misuse it. We shouldn't abuse it. We should use it wisely. And we read this in Proverbs 10:20. Just how valuable it is. It says, "The tongue of the righteous is choice silver, but the heart of the wicked is of little value." And Proverbs 25:11. 12 says a word aptly spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver like an earring of gold or a fine ornament of of fine gold is a wise man's rebuke to a listening ear and 2015 says gold there is and rubies in abundance but the lips that speak knowledge are a rare jewel now I don't know I may be totally wrong about this but I think God knew way back then probably because that little incident back in the garden with Eve that we women folk might have a little trouble with our words. Because he didn't compare it to a good horse or a nice wagon, a car. He said jewelry, didn't he? He talked about every kind of jewelry you can imagine. And I want to suggest that we women know more about jewelry than men. Now, there may be some out there that your husbands are just amazing with, with jewelry, but in my household, it's me. And I'm usually the one pointing out what I want. I'm pretty specific what I want. And, and you know when I think about that I think you know I want that necklace that I want it I want it to hang where am I going to wear it with I think about lots of stuff is it going to be too long is it going to be too short Does it hang balanced on me you know if it's a ring is that is that stone too big for my finger does it look right on me does it I have a zillion things to consider when I'm thinking about jewelry But now my husband on the other hand when we're there he walks in he wants to not be taken by the salesman so he you know walks in it's like he's kicking the tires it's like, what's clarity of that stone? You know that? And that is pretty much what everybody does, right? They know that a stone should be clear, and they know to ask for that. But then he's going to race off and ask that next question. How much is this going to cost me? That's all he wanted to ask. The minute he walked in the door, he didn't care about anything else. Not a thing. But when God God created us women, he created us with this wonderful, powerful, and very dangerous ability that we can speak more words in one day than a man can. And if you do the math... That sets us up for some um, more opportunities to use them for evil than, we, than the men actually have. So you see, like a good piece of beautiful jewelry, our words ought to be balanced. They ought to be beautiful. They ought to be more beautiful than the most precious piece of jewelry that's ever been made. And we ought to work equally or even harder and be as purposeful on what we say and, what we, and and how we say it, then that craftsman that made that amazing piece of jewelry, because it's that important. Now, another way our words are a gift from God is that they can be really refreshing to our souls. Have you ever had that time in the Word where you just, oh, you just feel like you drank a, a gallon of just wonderful refreshing water on a hot August day? You know, Proverbs 10:11 says, The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. But violence overwhelms the mouth of the wicked. You know, when we listen to, when we ponder on God's truths, or we're listening to someone that is teaching us God's truth, it is like taking that refreshing drink of water. But when it's not, it's because we haven't prepared our heart to hear those words. You see, we first have to prepare our hearts so that the soil in our hearts are prepared and they're humble and they're teachable. Otherwise, those words aren't going to be quite as impactful in our lives. And then when we do, the seeds of God's word can be planted into our hearts, and they'll take hold, and they'll begin to grow. And you'll see it in your words and your actions. It'll come out in everything you do. But sometimes when we don't do this, have you noticed how those wonderful words from the godly people or from the Bible, they kind of rub you the wrong way. Oh, I didn't really want to hear that one. It kind of offended me. I was offended by that. It's because our hearts aren't prepared to hear God's word. And you know, words of truth, they can also be nourishing and they can be health-giving. Proverbs 10.21 says, The lips of the righteous nourish many. And 16.24 says that pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul, and healing to the bones. Ladies, we have right here, right here, the best source of spiritual nutrition for a healthy spiritual life, in our Bible. It's like God made our own little individual diet plans and put it right here for each one of us to follow. Proverbs 4.22 says, God's words are like life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. We spend so much time thinking about what we put in our mouths. I know I do. I wake up and eat breakfast and I'm thinking, what am I going to make for lunch? And I'll be sitting there at lunch going, ooh, I need to run by the grocery store because I'm going to make this for dinner. And then I count every calorie, I count every carb, I count every fat gram. You know, I should be more concerned with what I'm putting into my heart. I need to ask myself, am I filling my heart with God's truths or am I allowing my heart to be governed by every trend that comes along? Because let me tell you this, if you are doing that, it won't take very long because eventually those, those things will leave you empty and you'll be wanting for more and wanting for more and searching for something else to fill you up. God's truth will always bring you perfect nutrition for a healthy spiritual life. Now, it's important, ladies, before we even move on, that you fully understand how important our words and speech and what an amazing gift it really is. Because if we don't even grasp that... We're going to walk out of here and scream at the guy in the car next to us. We've got to understand what our words do to others and what they do to ourselves. You know, in Ecclesiastes 5.2, King Solomon said it like this. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. And this is it in a nutshell. Because God is in heaven and you are on earth. So let your words be few. And I think the emphasis should be on your words. You know, because I think he had something there. I think he really figured it out. He, we should be using God's words, and then we're going to be refreshing. We're going to be healing. We're going to be nourishing others and ourselves and not use as many of our words. It's not so much not speaking. It's about what you're speaking. Now, um, the second thing I think that we can all agree on after this study, what the Proverbs had to say about words and speech, is that our words and speech can be used for good, and they can be used for evil. Now, I think that was pretty obvious and pretty clear by reading all those Proverbs. And if you're anything like me, this can go any given way at any given moment. okay? Because I tend to base my words on how I'm feeling at that moment. You know, am I a little tired? What's going on in my life? Am I a little angry because my children have made me angry this morning? How do I feel at that moment? See, we're not supposed to base what we say on our emotions or our feelings or our our circumstances at that time. Because, ladies, you know that as well as I do, that's going to change at the drop of a hat. I can get mad that quickly. They should be based on what God says about our life. Like Holly was talking about this morning. She could turn it around just by basing what she was going to say on God's truth, and it changes your whole perspective and what you're going to say. Because what we can say will either hurt somebody or it could help somebody, and that's important stuff. So we have to be careful with our words because once they're said, they can only be forgiven. And very seldom are those words forgotten. Only forgiven, and sometimes never forgiven. You know, our words are used for good when they are spoken out of a pure and holy heart. That happens. When that happens, we're able to bring peace to a situation, bring peace to others. In 15.1, it says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. There was a Greek scholar that said it like this. He said, A careless word may kindle strife. A cruel word may wreck a life. A timely word may lessen stress. And a lovely word may heal and bless. You know, we live in a world that teaches us this is a win-lose situation at every moment of your day. There's going to be a winner when I leave here and there's going to be a loser at all times. But that goes completely against earth or heavenly wisdom. He- heavenly wisdom advises us that there should always be a win-win situation. Because when there's a win-win situation, someone in- we always end up strengthening, uniting and building up the kingdom of God building out the body of Christ. Ephesians 4.3 says this, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Now when our words are spoken out of a pure and holy heart, they don't only bring peace, we can bring restoration and we can bring healing. We read earlier in Proverbs 16.24 that pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul, and healing to the bones. Now I don't think we truly give the power of a kind word the consideration it's due. I read a a quote by a a priest and a poet from the 1800s, and I think he says it perfectly. He says, With the help of grace, the habit of saying kind words is quickly formed. And once formed, it is not speedily lost. Sharpness, bitterness, sarcasm, acute observation, all these things disappear when a man is earnestly conforming himself to the image of Christ Jesus. And that very attempt to be like our dearest Lord is already a wellspring of sweetness within us, flowing with an easy grace over all those who come within our reach. I don't think I could say it better. Our kind words come out of us because we're conforming ourselves to be more like Christ. Now, when we speak out of a pure and holy heart, we can also give wise instruction. Proverbs 15:7 says, The lips of the wise spread knowledge, not so the hearts of the fool. And Proverbs 10:13 says, Wisdom is found on the lips of the discerning, but a rod is, the back, is on the, for the back of him who lacks judgment. Now, there are a lot of really important things we could teach people here, earthly things, but I suggest that the most important wisdom we can spread around is from God's Word. And once we've learned these truths in God's Word, God expects us to share them with others. You know, it could be from a parent teaching a child. Deuteronomy 6, 6 6-7 says, These commandments I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you move along the road, and when you lie down and when you get up. All the time. That's all the time. And then the older women should be teaching younger women. Titus 2, 3-5 says, Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way that they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. We bring honor to God when we teach the younger women. And as leaders in church or Sunday school teachers or whatever it is, we're teaching the next generation of believers 2 Timothy 2, 2 says, And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many entrust to, the, to reliable men who will be able and qualified to teach others. We're expected to teach others with what God has taught us through his word. Whether it be your grandchildren, your children, younger women, or the next generation of believers. Now we live in this country where I could walk out of here today and buy every kind of Bible you can even imagine. I could buy a Christian novel, a Christian self-help book. I could uh, watch, listen to Christian radio. I can choose what church I want to go to. It has different music, different styles, different everything. Do you really see any evidence of all this learning in our society? I really don't. And I suggest that even among people who are professed Christians, we're still spiritually illiterate. I mean, even on the basics of applying sp- spiritual knowledge into our christian living it's because we take all this world junk and we water down what we've learned from directly from god's word and then it becomes this gray area that really makes no sense and i think it's our society is paying a huge price for this right now and i i don't know any other way to do it but then to get back in the word and to, to stop listening to these world views that are dragging God's word down and watering it down so it makes no sense and it has no impact on our lives. Now, when we speak out of a pure and holy heart, we can also rescue the lost. And this is really important. This is important stuff. Proverbs 14:25 says, A truthful witness saves lives, but a false witness is deceitful. Now, this verse actually applied to um, a court of law. And it, it talked about... At that time, the law was that accused criminal could be condemned with the witness of two or three witnesses, with the testimony of two or three witnesses. And if it was a capital case where they were to be executed, those witnesses were actually the ones that threw the first stone. So it was really a big deal for them to tell the truth and not withhold what they knew. And because if they did, they were actually going to get, and they were proven of it, they were going to get the same punishment that accused was supposed to get. So it was a big deal, a really big deal. Now, applying this proverb, though, to our spiritual testimony takes on a whole new twist. You see, we learn that if our testimony to Christ's saving grace and love and forgiveness in our lives could actually save somebody from death and eternal separation, and we choose not to share that with them, maybe because we're just a little scared to do it, or or I just don't, you know, there's no hope for them. Or they're not going to hear it anyway. I've done it a thousand times. Our silence is a terrible, terrible sin. A terrible sin. God expects us to share our testimony with everyone around us, with everyone that we come across to see if they could be saved. It's such an important part of this. And the last thing is we can encourage those who are burdened. Proverbs 12:25 says this, An anxious heart weighs a man down, but kind words lift him up. Proverbs 15:23 says, a man has joy by the answer of his mouth and a word spoken in due season, how good it is. Have you ever gotten that kind word at just the right time? Oh, it just is fabulous. It changes everything. It changes it makes you know I can make it through one more day when you hear that kind word from somebody and it can be from a complete stranger. You know, these two proverbs I just read should cause us to ponder the impact of our words all the time. And we need to be asking ourselves, is what I'm saying discouraging people? Or is it actually encouraging, lifting them up? Do I spend more time talking about what they're doing wrong in their lives and what, what doesn't look so good in their lives? Or do I spend more time talking about what they're doing right and what God is looking at in their lives? You know, am I negative or am I positive? You know, Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted, and we all claim to have hearts that beat after the things that Christ's heart beats after. Well, we know what it is it's to heal the brokenhearted. So our words should be used in our own ministry of our lives to bring encouragement and hope to those around us. Now, on the flip side, these amazing tongues that can speak so many wonderful things in people's lives, oh boy, can they do some evil? They can do some really big things. Our words are used for evil when they are spoken out of a heart that is void of God's truth. One of the ways we use our words for evil is we hurt others when we lie. And we read in Proverbs 12:22. It says the Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in men who are truthful. And Proverbs 21:28, a false witness will perish and whoever lies listens to him will be destroyed forever. You know, the world tells us honesty is the best policy. And that's a pretty good principle. But, you know, acting upon that principle alone doesn't make us an honest person at all. Because we don't know what our motives are. We don't know what the motive is behind our honesty. We should be honest because our heart is pure, our heart is holy, and we're walking in the fear of the Lord, and we desire to obey His commands when He tells us not to lie. And it shouldn't be because we're following some worldly principle. See, our motives will reveal the true nature of your heart. Now, that applies to even those little white lies. <laughs> but I didn't like this part. I really want to skip over it. It um, applies to those little, t- little white lies that we use to shade the truth. And, and so to lighten it up a little, I found these really funny little explanations of car accidents that, that had been given to an uh, insurance company. And I'm going to read you just a few of them. It said... I'd been driving for 40 years when I fell asleep at the wheel and had the accident. Okay? I think it's more of a punctuation problem. But the uh, next one said, I pulled away from the side of the road. I glanced back at my mother-in-law and headed over the embankment. Not going there. Uh, the pedestrian had no idea which way to go, so I ran over him. But he didn't make that mistake again, did he? The telephone pole was approaching fast. I attempted to swerve out of its path when it struck my front end. The guy was all over the road. I had to swerve several times before I hit him. (laughs) That was great. But my favorite was the last one because I could have written this one, actually. I'm always trying to find someone else to place that blame on so I don't look quite as bad. And this one says, The indirect cause of the accident was the little guy in the small car with the big mouth. Not me. I did nothing wrong. He caused me to get crazy and wreck. Now, those excuses are funny. But, you know, they remind us how prone we are to shade the truth, especially when we want things to come out in our favor. But as Christians, we know what these Proverbs say now. We've studied them all week. And it says that our lying is an abomination to our Heavenly Father. He detests our lying lips. That's not funny stuff. That's a big, big deal. We... There is nothing more powerful than telling the truth in love. And you know that when you do it, and it's difficult, and it's contrary to what the world is telling you, God will honor any time you tell the truth in love. I promise you that. Now, another way we use our words for evil is when we do harm, and this for us women is a a big thing. We do harm when we gossip. Um, Proverbs 20:19 says this about gossip: A gossip betrays a confidence, so avoid a man who talks too much. And we have 16:28 tells us a perverse man stirs up dissension, and a gossip separates close friends. Now, the New King James Version of the Bible says it this way: A talebearer reveals secrets, but he who is a faithful spirit conceals a matter. Now, a talebearer is a translation of a Hebrew word for meaning to go about. And it was probably derived from another Hebrew word which means merchant. So actually a tailbearer is someone who goes about peddling gossip. And to be the customer of a tailbearer is almost as dangerous as being the tailbearer yourself. You see, a tailbearer is um, they just they can't wait to share these choice bits of morsel it's on their lips. They can't hardly have prepared it. They're ready to let it go. And Proverbs 18.8 tells us that. Words of the gossip are like choice morsels. They go down into a man's inmost parts. Yeah, choice morsels makes a lot of sense to all of us. We all have some kind of food that we love and we crave and we have to keep it hidden in the back of the closet so it's harder to get to, like my chocolate or whatever it is. We crave it. But that's what it's like when we feed on those choice. Bits of gossip. They go down into our innermost inside and and we begin to crave it more and more. And the surest remedy for gossip is to fill up on God's Word. Because when we're routinely and purposely studying God's Word, we're going to begin to crave God's Word more and more. And we're going to develop a healthy appetite for God's Word and, and not so much for that unhealthy appetite for gossip. The surest way to stop gossip dead in its tracks is just not to listen to it. You know, in fact, if we all quit listening to gossip, it would stop. Because our ears, when we listen to gossip, we give gossip life. Without our ears to hear it, it doesn't go anywhere. Proverbs 26.20 confirms this when he says this, when they say this. Without wood, a fire goes out. Without gossip, a quarrel dies down. Now, this kind of reminded me of something. My my sweet husband, Cameron, he can grill the best ribeye this side of the Mississippi. Is, is amazing. It really is. It is an amazing thing, and and I would almost want to rewrite this and have it say, without a half a gallon of starter fluid, the fire dies down. Because when Cameron goes out to make my steak for me, first of all, he's very per- purposeful about the ribeye cut he gets. It has to look just right. He goes out to the grill. He, he he cleans it. He scrubs it down, and then he takes out the old coals and he charcoal, never propane. Never propane. He stacks his, his charcoals just right. Gets them just perfect. And he puts a little lighter fluid on him. And he lights them, and there's just little flame. Now, if he turned around at that moment and walked off, those coals would be worthless for my wonderful ribeye. But no, he knows that. He takes that half-a-gallon thing of charcoal lighter we use every time I have a ribeye. He holds it up over his head like he's going to sacrifice a bull in the backyard, and he douses the entire grill. And the flames fly like 10 feet in the air. It's like a five-alarm fire. And I'm not kidding you. The neighbors have called and said, I think your house is on fire. (laughs) Honestly, that's happened once before. But he lets these die down, and then he grabs that again. He does it like five times till he's going, it's empty. There's nothing left. And then with flames come down and those coals are so pretty and white and hot and he can put on my ribeye and it is the choicest bit of steak you'll ever put in your mouth. He knows that he has to prepare it for that. You see, when he does that, it's just like in our lives. If Cameron wouldn't put all that charcoal lighter on there, those coals would just eventually die out. And gossip that's so carefully prepared and, it, and it's, you know, we, we do just all the right stuff, get ready to tell it, without those listening ears, it has nowhere to go. It's eventually going to die out. So I suggest there are two ways to stop gossip. Number one, don't be the one spreading it. Number two, don't be the one listening to it. My grandmother, sweetest little woman, she was so wise, but she had the worst grammar ever. She would always say, if you can't say nothing nice, don't say nothing at all. And that is so true. Keep it to yourself. Now, lastly, we can do harm to others when we speak in anger. Proverbs twenty nine, twenty two says, An angry man stirs up dissension, and a hot tempered one commits many sins. And Proverbs twenty six twenty three says that fervent lips with a wicked heart are like earthenware with silver dross. Now this reminded me as a kid, I used to live across the street from where they had the county fair. And once a week, the end of July, Daddy would give all of us $5 and send us over, and we would play every game, ride every ride a thousand times, and it tells you how old I am. And I always won those awesome necklaces. You know, you'd have peace sign on or something really cool, and I'd wear it for like 24 hours, and I'd look in the mirror, and my neck would just be black. And my pretty silver necklace was just kind of this ugly gray. It was hideous. Because, you know, when that silver wore off, It exposed the true junk that was underneath that silver. Now, I'm speaking from experience here. If I speak in anger, I will end up making the best speech I will ever regret. And I have done that a thousand times. And God knows this. And a few years ago, I really prayed about this. Stop me. Stop me when I start to speak in anger. So you know what he did? And oftentimes, he chooses to close my mouth so tight I couldn't scream if there was a bear chasing me. And, and sometimes it really bugs me. It really bugs me because my mouth is locked down so tight, and in my head I'm going, Ooh, "I got some good stuff. I'm so ready to let you have. It. I'm working it up, working it out. Ready. I'm going to let him have it." And he just shuts me down. He locks it and throws away the key. Nothing comes out. Now, in hindsight, I have never truly regretted him shutting me down, because oftentimes in my life, and probably in yours, silence was the best answer when I was angry. And I thank him every day that he chooses to do that for me. I think you get the picture. Our tongue is an amazing gift from God. It can be used to glorify and honor God. Or it can be used to do evil and bring dishonor to the kingdom. And it seems like for me that that changes at any given moment. One minute my speech is building someone up and I can turn around and my speech is tearing somebody down. Just like that. You know, I think the first thing we need to check when our words and speech need to be taken a turn for the worse, I think we need to check the condition of our hearts. You may think I'm crazy when I say this, but our negative words and speech are a symptom of an underlying heart condition. Let me explain in physical terms, because I, I totally get this. I'm a physical therapist, and I have been for years. And whenever I go in, I, I, do, I just go in and cover for other therapists. So I'll have a stack of charts... And I'll have my list. So the first thing I do is start reading through these charts and I, I look straight down to do they have any precautions. And if someone has highlighted, bolding, large letters, stars, and it says cardiac precautions, I treat them totally different. I don't care if I'm working on their big toe or their earlobe; They're going to be treated different. The first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to check their heart rate, their blood pressure, their oxygen levels. And then as we move along... If I'm doing something kind of taxing to the heart, what I tend to do with them is I engage them in constant conversation. Constant. Because after 20 year, 25 years of being a treating therapist and having on occasion maybe eight, ten times have someone drop out and code on me completely or pass out, I've learned the quickest way to know what's going to happen is when their speech begins to change. And that we can be chatting, we can be talking about their family and their latest vacation, and all of a sudden... I just notice something's not right. Their speech pattern changes just a little. Their words get a little funny and they're maybe mixed up. It's not the norm for them, what I would think. And sometimes they even sound kind of hateful. They get kind of... Because they're scared. They know something's happening too and they feel kind of anxious. I know that very moment I need to stop what I'm doing and check their heart. You see, it's the same thing in our spiritual lives. When our words and our speech begin to change... They become confusing to others. They get a little more hurtful. It gets a little easier to tell that lie or, or to be critical or to gossip. And we're, we're able to be a little more negative and it doesn't really bother us anymore. I suggest the first thing we need to do is stop and check the condition of our hearts. If you're like me at all, I can tie it down to three things one, a lack of time in God's Word. Two, A lack of time at the feet of my heavenly father in prayer. And three, filling up on worldly things instead of God's truths. I have to be honest with you. I am Vanita and I'm a repeat offender in this area. I could have my own club and be the leader of it in this area. And every time it amazes me how I go, oh, God, why didn't I see that? You know, I haven't been in the Word in a week. What's wrong with me? I just feel so empty and I, I'm screaming at my kids and talking ugly to my husband. What's going on? Proverbs 10, 13 through 14 says, Wisdom is found on the lips of the discerning, but a rod is for the back of him who lacks judgment. In a wise man's, and, and 1623, a wise man's heart guides his mouth and his lips promote instruction. You see, it's not about what we're storing in our head. And if you remember last week, Amy talked about this. It's the knowledge that we're taking to heart. Because when head knowledge becomes truth that you hide in your heart, they eventually come out in our words and our actions. We reveal that true color, that true color of our heart. Remember that old saying, it says, over the teeth and through the gums. I say this to my kids all the time. Watch out, tummy, here it comes. Well, today I suggest that we have a new version of this old phrase, and it's out of the heart and off the tongue. Watch out, world, here it comes. That can be a good thing, and that can be a bad thing. Ladies, please, please, please take the time and energy to examine your heart and be quick to diagnose any underlying heart conditions so that that could be causing your words and your speech to take that turn for the worse. You know, be purposeful about using your words and speech for good and not for evil so that this amazing, valuable gift that God has given us, it won't be used to tear others down. And it won't bring grief to our Heavenly Father, but instead it will be used to build others up, and we're going to bring honor and glory to our Heavenly Father. Please pray with us. Father, I just um, I thank you for these women. Father, thank you for their willingness to study your word. Father, we know that our tongues are, can bring a world of evil, but you've also told us our tongues can bring a world of relief and refreshment and nourishment. Father, please show us the areas of our lives that we can change and that would bring more honor to you. Father, um, help us this week to use our tongues to glorify you and build up others. In Christ's name I pray this. Amen.